Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So I thought we'd we'd chat today about um, a great teacher who passed away this this week, uh, Lama Zopa Rinpoche. Uh, Lama Zopa was a Gelug Lama, a Galupa Lama, uh, yeah, in the Tibetan tradition, and he co-founded FPMT, and that's the Foundation for the Preservation of the Mahayana Tradition. And so the uh, FPMT founded about 140 centers uh, around the world, and that was part of the the foundation and those centers where I lived for yeah about about four years within those centers and the other Lama who who co-founded that organization Lama Yeshi he passed away in 1984 so it was really Lama Zopa kind of carried that that organization the, the entire time and he's just really amazing um, incredible being and. So I thought I'd just share some some personal experiences with, with him and and some experiences and stories from I like to say like part of his entourage. So some of my friends were the monks who would literally follow him, you know, around the world and, and live with him and and all of that. And and I'll share some of those, some of those stories and some of his core teachings. And I don't know how it's going to kind of weave. Hopefully it's not all over the place. I just wrote down a whole bunch of stories like this story or that story or that little thing I heard or, or whatnot. So we'll see how, how it comes together. But, you know, I think with, with him kind of, you know, as, as we begin a couple of things and that we can keep in mind, I think that the, the main thing to keep in mind is that Lama Zopa was a teacher through and through, like he could have stayed you know, in the mountains and and meditated and whatnot, but he chose to to teach and his teachings, for the most part, he had some some very like elaborate uh, teachings he would do empowerments and stuff, but most of his teachings were extremely simple, really ex- extremely simple teachings. Like actually, what he said was really simple, but. How he how he moved through the world was very 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 unique, and I think that was the teaching. You know how he moved through the world, and he wasn't teaching like us about him. Like I'm going to talk about Lama Zopa, but Lama Zopa was teaching us about us, about our own potential. Like I think that he was very um, deliberate with what he showed to. Uh, those around him, which I'll, you know, get into. And so I, I invite us to kind of, as I, as I'm speaking of these things, kind of keep in mind, like, this is really a story about, about me and my potentiality, about my own, you know, Buddhahood and, and, and things like that. So, and if I would have the one, maybe uh, one word to, to describe uh, Lama Zopa was transcendent. He was definitely from like another world. I remember talking to Trudy, you know, the, the founder of Inside LA, 
talking about Trudy, we're talking about these beings that that we have met, and they're just like otherworldly, right? And 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 she's like, yeah, she's like, when you got really close to Ramdas, when you got really close within his presence, there was like a type of love or something that was completely transcendent, kind of coming from like a different dimension. And when you're in the presence of Lama Zopa, it was like that. It was like something otherworldly was in, was in the room, right? It wasn't it's almost like alien or something, you know, it's like, this is way different. And, um, and it could be easy on one hand to like kind of impute that because he's kind of a rock star or this big entourage and all that. But um, there was quite a few Lamas that, came that were like that but when you were in the room with Lama Zopa again something something really different um start off with how he passed away so he passed away I think on on Thursday uh he was I believe in the Himalayan foothills and uh, the um you know the air quality up there is, is not so good he's having trouble breathing and he eventually stopped breathing and they sat him up in meditation. So this is very common with the high lamas. Like they were, they will continue meditating. They go into what's called clear light meditation. Uh, when the senses withdraw like that, it's actually a really good time to meditate. I hear. <laughs> so, so they they sat him up. There's you can Google it. There's a film of him uh, meditating. And uh, they said, you know, Lama has entered into his final meditation. So he's. He's there meditating, and this can last several days. And if you look at the video, the body is not going through normal things that um, a deceased body would go through. Um, it looks fresh and kind of alive, although he's kind of slumped. Um, and you, usually this clear light meditation will end with some blood coming from one of the nostrils, and that will signify that the clear light meditation is is finished. And so we started the meditation on Thursday and yesterday um, it ended. So there was blood coming from one of the nostrils and, and they knew that it was, it was finished. So uh, these are kind of one of the interesting aspects of these beings when they, when they pass, it's some more of a conscious passing. Um, so Lama going back from, from his, his former life, he was, and, you know, if you believe in, in this stuff, you believe in reincarnation and whatnot. So uh, he was a Nyingma Lama. So he was a, a Lama from a different lineage. And he was actually quite a famous practitioner. He meditated in this same cave for 20 years in his, in his previous life. And I heard the story. I couldn't confirm this online. Uh, but when I was around him, they said the story was that he actually was born to one of his attendants. So... Um, one of his attendants in his former life would bring him food and whatnot. And when he passed away, she became pregnant. And that, that was Lama Zopa. And from a really early age, he would talk about uh, getting back up to his cave, like eight years old, nine years old, like, where's my cave? I got to get back to my cave. And, and finally, they, you know, they went, they found him his cave and, and uh, he got back to his cave and it's very famous now. He kind of built it out and people can go up there and do retreats. It's a very, you know, holy, holy place, you know. Um, so I'll kind of maybe start off with some of the more common stories. If you bring up Lama Zopa, there'll be some common things that come up 
pretty much right away. Um, <clears throat> and one of them is that Lama Zopa didn't sleep. I know this sounds, sounds weird, but he just didn't. He would sit up. He, he would sit up. So when it was time to go to quote, to go to bed or something like that. Um, for, for one, when he was at home, he just kind of didn't stop. So when he was at home, if he was traveling, he would, he would kind of sit up. But when he was at home, he would just continue benefiting all beings all the time, right? But his version of, of sleeping would just be meditating. He'd just sit up and, and, and meditate. And he's also very famous for, for um, like when he being in India teaching, there'd be all these mosquitoes and all of that. So they'd have nets all around. And so Lama Zopa would sit up and take off his shirt and he would tear down the, the mosquito nets and let the mosquitoes just feed on it, you know? And then the attendants would see that and they'd rush over and put up the mosquito nets and all that stuff. And then he'd tear them back down. And so he wanted the mosquitoes to have some food. <laughs> he'd say, he's like, no, no, it's good. They need it too, you know, it's okay, it's okay. And that's how he'd spend all night with just mosquitoes on them, you know? And it was just continuous, they couldn't help it, right? Um, and there was this, you know, story of him having some health issues. So he went to the doctor and the doctor said, you know, you, you need to sleep. Like, I hear you don't sleep. Sleeping is very healing and all this stuff like that. You need to sleep. And, um, so he said, oh, okay. Okay. So he tells his attendant like, Hey, um, I'm going to go to sleep. Doctor said sleep. Now I'm going to go to sleep. Right. So he says, the attendant said he, he lays down on, on the couch and he tells the attendant, wake me up 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and he said he laid down for 15 minutes. You know, that, that, that was it. And one of my friends was in his like close, you know, entourage there for, for quite a while. He was a monk and, and he said it was really weird, like, when you were in his presence, like you were able to stay awake. So he had his his home, like in the U.S. homes was near the center in near Santa Cruz. And so he's like, when you're in the house, the whole house, so there'd be lot, lots of monks and, and nuns around. And and he said the whole house would stay up like 24-7. You just, everyone stays up. And then when Amazopa would leave, you would just all fall asleep. <laughs> but if he was there, then you could stay up too. And and I was like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And he's like, he would make us like benefit all beings all the time. Like if he said, saw something on the news, like a calamity or something, he would um, write letters to the loved ones or he would send offerings or he would start a like a charitable campaign or something like um was it Steve Steve Irwin? You know the the activist, yeah, cro the crocodile hunter. Yeah, uh, I remember. I remember this one specifically. My friend, you know, was was with him, and Lamba Zopa saw that on the news. You know, so he told my friend write a letter to his wife, like tell tell her that we're really sorry. Write a letter to his family. You know, um, you know, stuff like that all the time. If they had some downtime, they would go to the. Um, they would just, he would just have them, but they weren't doing nothing. He'd say, go to the bait shop. So he would have them go down to the bait shop and, and buy all of the worms that they were going to sell for bait and then go and go free them. 
go free the beans, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, another story from that, that same friend. They were out, they were given a teaching somewhere. I forget, I think it was New Zealand. They're given a teaching in New Zealand. And and I don't know what bugs they were, but this the center was just crawling with with all of these bugs. And they were along the pathways and stuff. So my friend's job was to spend hours every single morning picking up every single bug and moving them off the path so they wouldn't get so they wouldn't get stepped on. You know, he like that. And I said he said I did that for a week, like for hours, picking up every single little bug so they wouldn't get stepped on, you know. Um, yeah, just amazing, just like this, this just amazing compassion all the time, you know, for, for these beings. And sometimes, sometimes I've heard this several times that he, you know, they, they tried to hide their, the llamas and whatnot, hide their omniscience and clairvoyance and all this stuff. But they said, sometimes if it was an emergency, they wouldn't hide it. And I didn't get like details on what he would do, but they said that he would sometimes just go, Hey, this needs to be done. This is happening. Let's go. Right. But one time he took the house of monks um, out. To, they went to the beach. And so Lama was famous to, uh, for going to the beach and just like hanging out on the beach and meditating on the beach and whatnot. So, so the monks were sitting there uh, early in, in the evening, let's say, you know, in the, in the afternoon, I should say four or five or something like that. My friend was telling me, he's like, man, we're just doing these, this Naga practice. So it's like the Naga sadhana is like, you're, you're, you're blessing all the, the water spirits, the spirits of the water. And he said, we're just doing the chanting and chanting. And then he starts going like all around the world, all the waves, all this, all the stuff. And, um, and then he's like, it's getting, it's getting dark and it's moving into the night. And this is another thing with, with Lama is that he would teach well into the night, um, I'll get to another story. So he he just didn't care about time at all. Like he didn't care how long he would do a blessing for food for an hour straight, like with a whole table of food in a restaurant, like no kidding. It would just sat there. There's a famous story of Vimble Rabina who cut him off. <laughs> like, well, she, she did the, she did the prayer first because she had to go somewhere. So she's like, Oh, may all this food be blessed. Da, da, da. Done. You know? So, cause she's like, Oh my God, if Lama Zobit gives the prayer, we might be here for like an hour. Right. He just said, didn't care about time. So anyway, so they're at, they're at the ocean. They're doing all of this stuff well into the night, into the morning. They're still out there on the beach, just praying, doing all this chanting, everything. They go back home. They turn on the news. And during that time, the uh, tsunami came in Malaysia what was that like 2004 or something you know and that's what happened and so they were giving you know all this chanting and, and all this stuff for the naga spirits that control the, the water and whatnot and so he would do you know stuff like that it's super super incredible um yeah so going back to the teaching so like i talked about like how he taught one interesting thing about Lama Zopa is that he was not charismatic, like, in my opinion, at all. <laughs> well, for one, he had a little bit of scar tissue. And I think like in the in, in life, this, he, he's, it's somehow healed or, or whatnot, but he had gotten really sick in India, like when they travel from Tibet to, to India. And um, so when he would, when he would talk, 
when he'd give his teachings, he would he would cough like all the time. And then when he would speak English, he would speak very, very quickly. Um, and so it was hard to understand. Like he, it was a meditation to to understand like the words and whatnot. So what kind of happened was you would just kind of zone out. And it didn't matter because I like I mentioned, the the presence was so incredible. And I remember the first time that I went to a teaching, it was packed. You know, I lived at Atlanta Medicine Boot at the time, and I've never seen it that packed. It was just, I don't know if there's a hundred people packed in, just so, so packed. And um they told me, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? Like it's a seven to nine teaching on the schedule. And he said, and I was filming and they said, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, you know, work, whatever. They said, clear your schedule. I was like, why? They said, because we don't know when he'll stop. Like he might talk all night long like that. And then he would show up late. So this is like a weeknight in Santa Cruz, California. Like people are coming after work and everything. He'd show up late and he wouldn't stop. He would just keep talking. It was like seven to nine, but he didn't care. He'd just keep keep talking. And he'd be coughing. <laughs> and he'd be like talking really fast. He'd be doing all this weird stuff. You know what I mean? And I'm like, like, why are people here? Like, like, how is this guy drawing people in? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what's the... And then the, you just keep sitting there and you're marinating in this unbelievable presence, you know, that you didn't want to leave. You didn't care what he was saying. You just like, just kind of just fall into this almost like a trance like a this amazing meditation so i think you know all of that was was part of the teaching to break down the confines of like time space like and he was he was unapologetically like hardcore tibetan like he didn't like that like that fpmt the foundation for the preservation of the mahayana tradition like he didn't water anything down at any time like it was just like pure 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 dharma and he just embodied, embodied that all the time, you know. And I think that that compassion and love for all beings just really, um, like I mentioned, that otherworldly, like you just felt that. And I remember for me wanting to continue my practice, I was like, what do they do? Like, I just want to follow that path to have that kind of effect where it's not what you what you say, it's how they make you feel, like that kind of a thing. Like really bodied presence that uh, yeah, was just so such a special teaching you know in and of itself one little story i'll i just because i don't want to forget this one because it has it won't tie into anything at all which was um yeah lama zopa came one day and he taught at the tara redwood school so there at the center is land of medicine buddha and then right next door was a school that was um, kind of developed by the center, Tara Redwood School, and Lama Zopa was teaching that day. And I would photograph these events. And, and so Lama Zopa came and I was taking pictures of all of all the people and this and that. And when when he walked in, people were, were not prostrating, but you know, they're just bowing, right? And somebody had brought their dog, this chocolate lab. And so Lama Zopa is coming, walking down, and everyone's kind of just bowing to Lama Zopa, Lama Zopa. And then as he walks down, he stops He's before he gets to the door, and he turns around. And when he turns around, the dog is following him. And he just turns to the dog and bows. And I have a photo of it, which I couldn't find. 
the dog just does a down dog like right right like in the aisle and everything he just turns around all of a sudden and he goes like that to the dog and the dog just does a perfect down dog i got dunk take a picture it was insane i was like what the heck is that that's so cool so cool i'll read a little something this is um this is from venerable roger this gives a little bit just a little bit of insight into um lama zopa Venerable Roger, everyone said, you know, he's a complete saint because he was Lama Zopa's attendant for you know, decades and decades. And and Lama Zopa was difficult. He he wouldn't show up. And like I said, he could come late. And you know, the Dalai Lama actually had to tell him, you, you can't teach past midnight unless it's an empowerment because he, you know, he would just keep teaching and 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 all of that. So Venerable Roger would would be with him all around the world and uh, really incredible monk in and of himself so this is in 2013 when roger just wrote a little blog uh, at the time lama zopa was recovering from a stroke and so just this is just a few words it's been two years since rinpoche has had the stroke not a lot has changed in rinpoche's life style actually when rinpoche had the stroke it happened gradually over several days Things got worse gradually. Even after arriving at the hospital, the stroke seemed to continue for days. It got to the stage where Rinpoche physically was doing almost nothing, could hardly move. It was a serious stroke. He just would lay there. It was very hard to know what to do. Rinpoche took absolutely no interest in his body. He never asked the doctor how he was or what he should do. What were his chances? Would he be okay? Not the slightest concern did he seem to have about his critical condition. Rinpoche focused on prayers for the sick people in the hospital and even did a little fundraising for the Christian hospital in the latter part of his stay. And so nothing has changed over the two years in this sense. Rinpoche seems not, not to have the slightest interest in recovering or not, but recovering is happening. This is hard to relate to most people. Why wouldn't you want to get better so you could help others? Prior to the stroke, Rinpoche lived the same way, having no worldly concern or interests. Everything was for others. There was no concern for sleep or, other, or any worldly benefit, no interest in rest. Rinpoche's definition of rest was abiding in virtue, he would say. From my experience being with Rinpoche, there was no space for self-cherishing. Signs such as the, these were none. The more I think about Rinpoche's life, I wonder and try to understand the more I think about Shanti Deva and the way of the Bodhisattva warrior, Rinpoche is a warrior, and I think he has conquered the real enemy within. And that's maybe why it's hard to him to relate, or that's why it's sometimes hard to relate to him sometimes or understand his actions, because there are always opposites, because they are always opposite to the world. Rinpoche has no rush to go anywhere. He is already here. And as Rinpoche always says, Taking care of others is the best way to take care of yourself. It's really cool. Um, so a while back, like 10 years ago or so, I, I took a trip to Nepal and we had the Bodhigaya stupa in, in Nepal. And um, yeah, out of nowhere, I saw Venable Roger 
and uh, the attendant who wrote that. And so I knew that Lama Zopa was close. And I knew Venable Roger because, you know, I did a lot of the filming and photos and stuff like that for Lama Zopa. So I would coordinate with him. So I was super excited when I saw Venable Roger. I was like, oh my gosh, Lama Zopa is here in, in Nepal. So cool. And he's probably here, here. He's probably going to show up soon. And, um, and he did. Lama Zopa came and, and Lama Zopa was talking to, I've told this story before, but Lama Zopa was, was talking to this, this Lama who looks something completely out of a movie. If you, if you like drew up a character in a movie that was a Himalayan sage, it was this guy. He had the beard and everything. And you could tell it was like a, a Nyingma Lama because they have like long hair. And he's just like this total mystical dude. And I asked Venable Roger, like, who's that? Like, who, who is Lama Zopa talking to? They were like really close in conversation. And he says, he's um, Lama White Jigme. That's his name, Lama White Jigme. But he says, it's the weirdest thing. He's like, whenever Lama Zopa comes, we don't tell anybody because he'll draw a crowd, right? So we don't tell anybody. And within minutes of Lama Zopa showing up, Lama White Jigme shows up like out of nowhere every time like we don't know how it how it happens all of a sudden this guy shows up and they're they're like just so close just talking talking you know so close so Lama Zopa leaves you know he's continues walking and uh I go up to Lama White Jigme and I just asked him straight up like how'd you know Lama Zopa you Lama Zopa's friend he said yeah he's like I said how do you know Lama Zopa was here you know <laughs> and uh and you know the 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 monks they they can't give away any it's they break a vow if they give away any powers if they say that they're that they have any powers at all whatsoever they break a vow and so i don't know if you know that like that's why you never hear them say like i'm clairvoyant or i could levitate or they'll just say like the Dalai lama says i'm just a normal monk right i'm just average i don't know anything you know but one thing they they will say is they'll say sometimes I know a little bit. So this is a little bit of if you ever hear a, like a Tibetan say, "Oh, well, sometimes I know a little bit." Listen, like pay attention to what they say next, because it's a little insight. Like sometimes I know a little bit. So so uh, Lama White Jigme said, "You know, sometimes." And he's like, "I'm sitting there and I I meditate. I'm meditating, and then all of a sudden, oh, Lama Zopa at stupa." <laughs> he's just basically saying oh i just meditated and i get a like a clairvoyant hit you know like lama zopa's at stupa you know so um but you know so i just i hung out with him because he was just he kept telling me like oh lama zopa will come back soon he's he told me he's gonna come back like to wait and he had this like childlike love and devotion towards towards lama zopa and this is one thing that you know i've I've spoke about before in, in that one thing that gets really lost, I think, in like modern day Buddhism is that we don't have the guru relationships um, a lot anymore, which is totally fine. Um, but we have to realize that it, in most of these traditions, like the teachings that we all hear and we, we know and love and everything, we're steeped inside this extremely powerful, implicit love that they had and respect that they had 
for the entire lineage. And then they they pray to every day, Bajadara, Talopa, Naropa, Kumpopa, Marpa, Milarepa, like all the way down. Like they just, you know, the entire tree is like, they have so much devotion, so much loving kindness. When you hear these teachings on emptiness and, and, and these higher teachings or even mundane teachings, remember that this was wrapped in the heart of this, this incredible, intense, you know, relationships with their teachers. And that even though we don't practice maybe quite like that, we should definitely think about, you know, cultivating the heart in a very intense way because this was implicit um, within these teachings for, for so long. So uh, Lama White Jigme had this incredible devotion to Lama Zopa. He would just keep telling me, he's coming back. You know, he's coming back. He's going to walk. He just wanted to see him again, like just to see him again, you know. So, um, you know, we could see like the Himalayas there. So I asked Lama White Jigme, I said, um, have you ever meditated, you know, up in the mountains? And he said, no, not, no, not just, just for a little bit. He's like, you know, I, I did 12 year meditation, um, but um, I couldn't stay longer because the snow was too deep. <laughs> he only, only hung out, he only did a 12 year meditation there. Um, but couldn't stay longer. And then before Lama came back, you know, so like I mentioned, he's like a Dzogchen Lama. So they're very into like clear light, clear space mind, you know. So we were talking about different teachings and, and whatnot. And one thing that stuck with me is that he said, Lama White Jigme said, when the heart is pure, wisdom falls effortlessly from the clear blue sky. And of course, the, that's, you know, the analogy of the mind being the clear sky, right? When the heart is pure, wisdom falls effortlessly from the clear blue sky. I was like, oh, thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and, and I tell that story because of like the world that, you know, Lama Zopa is kind of operating within, you know, the, these these amazing beings. Um. Yeah, so I I wrote down a, a couple of his, of his teachings here. I'll just kind of say a couple, couple of these, and then kind of kind of wrap it up with something. But um, I'll just I don't know where to start start with these ones. But like I said, Lama Zopa, for one, he was a, a lineage holder of some of these really unique empowerments. So he would definitely give these really amazing empowerments. I remember doing um you know, being that i did the filming i was able to get into teachings that i wasn't you know quote unquote allowed to to get into so lama zopa said you can come but don't listen he told me that i was like okay well listen and one of the most unique experiences is that he was giving a chode practice and this is really elaborate practice and and it was it was all night i remember being there it was like four o'clock in the morning and they were just chanting. I don't know what they were doing. They were just chanting and doing this crazy practice. And Lamba Zopa was playing a flute. He had this indigenous drum and he's just doing all this drumming. And then they were chanting and he's playing a flute made out of a femur bone. And I'm like, this is just weird, man. Like, I don't know, what, I don't know what's going on. But um, but it was very powerful. The room was was really, really, really powerful. And so he would do these these really traditional practices, but most of the teachings in public were extremely simple. 
And I, and I feel like sometimes the simple teachings that are just the real teachings, the very core, like be love and those types of things, we can get almost so close to them and they become like so routine that we actually miss their meaning. And he was, he would just throw it out there with you, like just so front and center. Um, here's a quote from him. The more we cherish others, the happier we become. The more we think of others, the more we bring happy ourselves. That's from the book. There's some free books. You could just Google um, the joy of compassion is one of them. And he's got this other one on emptiness. That's so crazy, insane. So good. The real source of happiness is not external circumstances, but the inner qualities of our own mind. By cultivating positive qualities such as love, compassion, and wisdom, we can experience a deep sense of inner peace and contentment, regardless of external situations. The ultimate purpose of our life is to achieve enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. Everything else is secondary. By keeping this the ultimate goal in mind, we can make every moment of our life meaningful and beneficial. This one's nice. The, the only thing that really matters in this life is how we use our time, whether we use it to benefit ourselves or others, to create happiness or suffering is entirely up to us. By choosing to use our own time wisely, we can create a life of great meaning and purpose. So to kind of kind of button it up, um, the, like I would say, you know, kind of like um, Dharma, Dharma teachings. There's many different levels of of how it it assists us, right? It assists us on everyday levels. It can assist us in our work. It can assist us in in our relationships and and whatnot. And I think that different teachers, and maybe different times of our life, and different types of teachings and teachers, they they have an effect on us in, in different ways for helping us in different parts of our, our life. And then someone like Lama Zopa comes along and they're liberated. Like there's like this, that, that word of like completely free. You get a sense that this person is completely free, like even fearless of, of death, you know, uh, reminds me of that great story of the Dalai Lama was talking to his friend and said, you know, and his this old monk, you know, he's like, he tells the Dalai Lama, like, I'm leaving, I'm 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 done here, I'm I'm, I'm taking off, you know. And the Dalai Lama says, No, you have to stay. We have big things for you to do, and this and that. And he's like, Well, I'm only gonna stay for a hundred years, and that's it, you know. And um, so, like, the the type of liberation and, and freedom that comes from fearlessness of even even death, and just being able to consciously, you know, meditate after you die, and consciously reincarnate, and but just be free in, in your moment-to-moment -moment experience, you know, just be free of worldly concerns, like Venerable Roger was saying, like, and to ponder that every once in a while, like, like liberation, like this is not, like it could help us now, but what if it could help us eternally? Like, what if we could be free um, from fears, anxieties, and all of these things forever? Like, is, is that a possibility? Because the the Buddha and these other amazing saints and sages have been liberating beings for 2,600 years, you know, like the Christ, the Krishnas and all that stuff, because I think they went all the way, you know, they didn't just stop. Like what happens if, you know, Buddha went halfway or, you know, he just kind of helped out his community in a more mundane way or something. 
but he went all the way. He went all the way to enlightenment. In fact, he gave up everything. He gave up the palace. He gave up the being a prince and all that stuff to go all the way to enlightenment. And so it's good to ponder again, like I started off, like it's not, it's not about Lama Zopa. Lama Zopa was teaching us like all saints and sages have taught us the kingdom of heavens within you, right? Like this is the way of being, right? And this is the way to happiness. Like he was completely free and happy, but what did he do all day? He's benefited other beings all day. I mean, that was his, his very core moment to moment passion, right? And it was because of that, he just seemed completely liberated, right? Um, and, and the second thing is to, um, when you, when you kind of, you know, commit like that, there's a sense of embodiment kind of goes along with it. It's like, you know, these, these teachings are, are not to be heard, you know, only they're, they're there to be, there to be practiced. And, you know, it, it's, it's not an accident. It comes with hard work. The lifetime before that he spent 20 years in a cave. Gave up everything that life too, and not saying that we have to spend it in a cave. We can bring attention to every moment of our life, right? We can bring that intention when we take a shower. We're cleansing, you know, the bodhisattva way. Take a shower. Oh, I'm taking a shower, but I'm cleansing the purification karmas of all beings everywhere. When I make food, I'm not making food for myself. I'm making food for all beings. I'm feeding all beings. When I clean the countertop, I'm not just cleaning the countertop. You know, I'm cleansing and purifying um, any unwholesome traits of myself, right? When I'm driving down my street, may all beings be happy and free from suffering, right? We can bring this into but, uh, uh, any moment in, in our life that Bodhisattva, may I attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings, that vow could be ever present in our own minds, in our own hearts, just like Lama Zopa, you know? So, um, you know, obviously this talk was about uh, an inspiration or inspirational figure um, uh, in, in my life and in other people's lives. So I thought that for all our breakout rooms um, and smaller groups today that we could share, you know, you could share people that inspire you or like stories of inspiring beings. It could be Buddhist or non-Buddhist, doesn't matter. Uh, you know, just pe people, beings, teachings, lineages that have um, really benefited you in, in your life. And um, yeah, we could share in that experience. Yeah, so we only have a few minutes left because I babbled too long, but I wanted to give you guys uh, time in the small group. But um, maybe we have time for at least one share. Um, I heard some some cool teachers' names pop up about who's, uh, other uh, inspirational figures. But yeah, anyone want to share what came up for them? That's my favorite teacher, too. <laughs> Silence. It's the best. Are we all the same teacher? So cool. I like that. Yeah, idolizing compared to um, being inspired by. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The classic in Tibet, they say, like, hang out with if you want before you choose your teacher hang out with them for 12 years um i've been teaching here for 10 so i'm almost there i don't screw it up like in this couple of years so yeah I, 
wanted to thank you for your talk and sure. also uh, to say how this whole process seems to lead from us being very self-centered and concerned about our own needs and wants. And as we let go more and more, it seems like our focus becomes more centered on others mm. and letting go of you know, our own thoughts and feelings and perceptions. It just reminded me of what Dogen said. Uh, I can't quote him uh, perfectly, but he said something about the fact that uh, to study Buddhism is to self, to study the self is to forget the self, and to forget the self is to be enlightened by 10,000 things. And it's like, as, Beautiful. as our focus becomes less and less just our own thoughts and feelings and becomes more mm. centered on the entire world, uh, it it seems like a, a natural opening and, and blossoming that, that results from this practice. Yeah. Thank you. Beautifully said. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, let's just sit for uh, our last time here, just like dedicating the, the merit and yeah, just tuning into this Bodhisattva intention, which is what I'm always left with thinking of Lama Zopa. May I attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings and working with our own practice with that soul intention, that soul realization, I'm not free until all beings are free. And with this in mind, dedicating our time together today, sharing in this wisdom, love, compassion, insight, togetherness, sangha. What if everyone was sitting like this on their Sunday before they move into their week? attempting to do their best to open their hearts to be free from anger, aversion, ignorance. But really thinking of this light within all of us, all beings everywhere. May all sentient beings be happy, truly, truly happy and free from suffering. Thank you, everybody, again so much. If you're in person, you chose this over the races today. So that's rad. So, yeah, sending love to everybody. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.